0: As we uh, turn our attention to uh, this message here today, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to get there in a little bit. And uh, you're always welcome, if uh, you're more comfortable with the digital version of the Bible, you can do that. And uh, we also have copies of a Bible in the back. If you need one, you are welcome to go and grab one for yourselves. The author Donald Miller said this. He said, to be in a relationship with God is to be loved purely and furiously. And we learn that we are lovable or unlovable from other people. That is why God tells us so many times to love each other. If being in a relationship with God is understanding that we are madly loved by Him, the way that we really understand if we are lovable or unlovable is through other people. It makes sense then, as Donald Miller said, that that is why God has invited us in so many times to love one another. If you're anything like me, there's days when that's just not so easy, though, is it not? There are days when you just think, okay, I know I'm supposed to love others, but maybe, maybe not today. And I was kind of thinking about that and wondering, were there times when Jesus was just like, yeah, not today? <laughs> I mean, we don't have every day of his life recorded. Were there times like, you know, I'm just going to hang out out in the mountains a little bit longer because I'm kind of over people for, for a little while. That's why we're in this series, this series we're in, is called Bless, it's Loving Like Jesus in Everyday Life. And the reason we're going through this is because we really want to love others like Jesus is not piling on a whole bunch of new things or feeling this burden of how can I possibly love like Jesus? How can I be, have that kind of patience and compassion and mercy for others that he seemed to always have? But we really believe that God, Jesus is inviting us to love like him in everyday life and the things that we do every day. And so that's why we've been challenging ourselves with this. And I hope you've been challenged by this series. I hope you're not just saying, okay, it's just filler on Sunday mornings. But we're doing this very intentionally because we do believe that if we exist to help people discover life in Christ, if this is the last command Jesus gave to us was to go and to make disciples, then we should probably take that seriously. Are you with me on that? And if we should take it seriously, we need to be reminded time and, uh, from time to time of what that might look like. So that's why we're going into this series. Now, uh, this has series has been an acronym. So for those of you who maybe it's your first time or if you've missed a few weeks, we'll, we'll get you caught up to speed. So this is what we've been doing with BLESS, and this is the last day. So BLESS, we, we talk about begin with prayer. We believe when we begin with prayer and then we keep our eyes and minds open to what God's doing around us, it's amazing what happens. The next thing we talked about was listen, and this is that whole thing of you have two ears and one mouth. What if we learned to listen to people more than talk and listen without judgment and really be able to hear the cries of each person's heart? Eat together. This is when we can all do this, can't we? This is, a, this is something we can do. But it's inviting people to the table of hospitality. It's amazing what happens to have a meal together. That's why it, it's so common to say, hey, you want to get together for coffee? You want to get together for lunch? This is because something happens when you eat together. There is something more intimate, and Jesus modeled that well for us. Last week, we looked at serve. Once you do with these other things, you find opportunities to serve people. They pop up all the time. Just last week, I was in the grocery store, and one of my neighbors, who's, uh, he's in his 80s. He's a widower, and we were talking, and he said, you know, asking how he's doing. And he said, you know, I'm doing okay, but one of the hard things for me is I'm buying these groceries, and it'll be hard for me to even bring them into the house. It was so easy for me to say, well, I hope you can find someone to do that. no. <laughs> It was such an easy opportunity to say, well, when you come home, I'll see you come home, and I'll come, and we'll bring your groceries in. I mean, how easy is that, right? But it's, these little opportunities pop up all the time, and the more you know people, you find small opportunities to serve them. And then today, we're going to talk about is sharing a story. This is sharing stories. You get to hear the stories from others, but also there is an opportunity to share your story. There's a famous line in Christianity that said, says this, preach the gospel at all times, And if necessary, use words. I love that phrase, but I think it actually falls a little bit short. Because at some point, it is necessary to use words. At some point, people need to know, why are you a good person? Because we live in a world where we value people who are good, right? How many people, when you meet someone, they say, oh, that's such a good person. Maybe they say that about you. Well, what makes us any different from any other good person? There's something in our story that actually there's a story of forgiveness and redemption, and we're living for something more than just to be good today. And in fact, the only reason we're good is because the Spirit of God is transforming and changing us, and because there's an eternity that we believe awaits, us and our friends. You with me on that? So I believe, preach the gospel at all times, And when necessary, use your words because it is necessary. And that's what we're talking about today, is sharing our story. And I know this is the point in which some of you are saying, I could do the other four, but now, seriously, this is the one I didn't want to hear about. But I, I believe that it's easier than you think. And we're not talking about grabbing your soapbox and standing on the corner of the road and with your bullhorn and preaching this is in the context of relationship and love for one another that we get to, get to the point where we share our stories. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. He says, How then are they to call on him who they've not believed? How are they to believe in him who they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone to tell them? So what Paul would say is that we, as followers of Jesus, have been invited in to bless others, and ultimately, to help them see that there's a God who loves each and every person, is inviting each person into relationship with him. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's look at John chapter 14. We're going to look at a story today. Of And some of you, if you're familiar with Scripture, maybe you are familiar with this story in John chapter 4. And in, in this story, it's a story of a, a, a woman who Jesus is going to interact with at the well. Now, I want to tell you this from right now we're going to see how Jesus kind of shares pieces of the story of God with her as he interacts with her story. But here's what I want to do for you, what I want to challenge us with. Instead of trying to look at this and say, okay, how did Jesus do this now? I'm going to go home and do this with my friends. I want you to find yourself in the story, in the place of the woman at the well. Because I believe when we understand how she reacts, we'll find ourselves in that story and we can get a greater understanding of how other people often feel when it comes to encountering Jesus. So that's the angle we want to take and I'll walk you through that here today. So John chapter 4, it starts off and and let's go to verse 3. Jesus left Judea, departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the fields that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So we have a journey going on here. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired from his journey, was just sitting by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, so about the middle of the day. This is about noontime. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus replied to her, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water. So let's stop right there for a moment. And let's look at the first part of this story. So what's happening is Jesus is journeying with his disciples, and they're going through this region called Samaria. Now, the journey from Jerusalem to Samaria, uh, or sorry, to Galilee, had in the middle of it, on the shortest route, route, would have been this region called Samaria. It was in the former northern kingdom of Israel. And the Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be half-Jews. They were not pure blood. And the Samaritans uh, had a different place right here near this area, a town called Bethel. They considered there where they would worship God. This was like the, the Jerusalem for the Samaritans. And the Jews, of course, the temple was in Jerusalem, so there was a division. They were, they were kind of related by blood. Uh, they were related by blood, but they were very different in how they Uh, saw the worship of God and it goes all the way back uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years to some divisions and again northern kingdom southern kingdom all of this bloodline got uh, mixed but so there was a lot of animosity between the two of them that's why when jesus told a controversial story about a good samaritan that was to the jews to hear like wait a minute what are you talking about a good samaritan that doesn't exist So it was this shocking story. So here we are now in that same region where Jesus is walking through in Samaria. Now, many of the Jews would not take that journey. Most of them would go down from Jerusalem into Jericho and go up along the Jordan River. And they would add to their journey. And the reason they would add length to their journey is because they didn't even want to be near the Samaritans. So that should paint a little bit of the picture. Now, Jesus was very intentional. And smart, he knew the direct line between two points, or the shortest distance, is a direct line. So he said, "I'm not walking extra distance, we're going straight through." And he wanted to hang out with the Samaritans. So he gets to this town, goes to a well, his disciples go in to get food, and it's noon time. And this woman comes out to get water. Now for us, we just think, okay, random, a woman is coming out to get water at noontime. But this is actually really weird. Why would you come out in the middle of the day, at the hottest part of the day, hottest time of the day, to get water? If you're going to get water, you're usually going to get it in the morning, so you have water for the day, for cooking, for all the things you need. Or maybe at the end of the day, so you have it for the next day. But either way, you would do it when it's not as hot outside. So why would you go in the middle of the day to walk from your town out to this well to draw water? We're going to find in a little while that the reason she's doing this is because she was trying to avoid people. Some of you, you like to go grocery shopping at late at night because you want to avoid people. Not because it's more convenient, right? Sometimes we have those times where we're like, I'm going to go now before anyone wakes up. You're trying to avoid people. Uh, the first time I uh, started waking up really early in the morning is when we had young kids. I, I started doing that because I realized it was the only time a day no one was awake. My house was quiet, so I learned to wake up earlier in the day. Now I have teenagers. I can do this at 9, and it's fine. It's so cool. <laughs> but she was avoiding people. And we're going to find out in a moment why. But she had a lot of shame in her life. She felt rejected by her own people. So she comes out in the middle of the day, and here's this Jewish rabbi sitting by the well. She sees him. She continues to approach, and he looks at her and says, hey, give me a drink of water. Now, he's not being rude about it. He's probably saying it in a cultural way. That sounds like, hey, could you please get me a drink of water? To which she replies, she says, hey, um, how is it that you being a Jew are asking me as a Samaritan to get you some water. Now, how many of you have ever read this story and kind of read a little bit of attitude into her? I, I kind of, when I've read it, I kind of feel like she has a little edge on her. Doesn't it feel like she's like, oh, who do you think you are? You, ask you a Jew, asking me for some water? And you don't even have a cup. What You, you don't even have a bucket. What are you doing thinking you're asking me for water? I always kind of read some attitude into it, and there might have been. But what I really think she's saying is, Don't you understand that you're not supposed to be talking to me? My own people don't talk to me. Are you, like, do you understand what's going on here? Are you that dumb? Do you get this? Do you know who I am? If you knew, you would never even talk to me. And as I see her response, to me, I think back to maybe my story, and maybe many of your stories. And what we see in her is what I believe a lot of people feel when it comes to encountering God. And the first thing that, she's, that, that I want to show you, and I have it up here, is the first question that people have, is, am I accepted by God? Will I be accepted by God and his people? You have to know that at the heart of a lot of people, is if they want to encounter Jesus, there's something inside that, what if he really knew my story? What if Jesus really knew everything that I thought and everything I did? Would I still be accepted? Some of you, as you're walking with Jesus, you still struggle with this question. You still struggle to know, like, does does he really accept me for who I am? Because I know the inner workings of my heart. Will I be accepted by his people? When I show up on a Sunday morning filled with people who are all perfect? None of the people in here have sinned this week, but me. And you show up and you think, what if they knew me? Would I be accepted? This is such a fundamental question that people have. They may not verbalize it, but this is what's going on in her mind. What she's really saying is, do you really know who I am? And then he says, if you knew who I were, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for water and I'd given you living water. I'd give you something even better. And she says, Well, you don't even have, you don't even have a bucket. Again, is she just pushing off and saying, No? Go away? I don't think so. You know what I believe she's saying? She's, Do you understand? For me to give you water, you're gonna have to drink out of my cup. I'm unclean. Do you get it? You don't have your holy, purified vessel. You're going to have to use mine. Are you sure you want that? I love that. If you think back through what the BLESS acronym that we're talking about, Jesus is, my guess is, he began with prayer. He's listening to her story. He, and this is kind of in a way he's eating with her. He's saying, We are going to share a table together. And her question was, am I really going to be accepted? Let's go back to the story. And, and, and if you think of yourself in here, what are the times in your life that maybe you have felt totally out of place or not accepted? I, I remember one time I went to a friend who was getting married in an Anglican church. And I've never been to an Anglican church before, and I went there. And Anglican church has a lot of rituals and different things that I didn't understand. And we, we started, in the, and the person kind of leading the worship and stuff is actually in the back of the room. You don't even get to see them, and they, they say something, and then everyone repeated. They knew what to say, and I thought, oh, what? I'm supposed to say something. And then everyone kneeled down and went, I'm kneeling down now. And then they stood up and said something else, and then they had communion, and there's all this stuff going on, and I felt so out of place. Some of you maybe are here this morning going, like, oh, that's how I feel at Seacoast right now. <laughs> people started singing, and some people started raising their hands, and you look around, like, Am I raising my hand? What are we doing here? It's hard to feel out of place. So that's how she feels. Now look at what how it continues. Verse 10: Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, He'd give you living water. She said, You don't even have a bucket, the well's deep. Where do you think you're gonna get this living water? Then verse 12, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well to drink of it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answered her and said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water I will give you will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And she said, sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty nor have to come out all the way out here to draw water. So again, continues on. Jesus says, if you really knew what I'm offering, I'm offering you not just, we're not talking about water. I'm talking about eternal life. I have something better than this. And she said, well, you think you're better than Jacob? Jacob was one of the forefathers of of the Jewish faith and the Samaritan faith. Jacob was the, the grandson of Abraham who started the nation of Israel. Jacob traveled through there, and and he dug this well. She said, this well has been in our family for 1,500 years. You think you're better than Jacob? You think what you have to offer is better than what we've had? What is she really getting at? Because then he says, well, if you knew the water I'll give, you'll never be thirsty again. She goes, that sounds good. Fine, give me this water. I'll never be thirsty again, and I'm not going to have to walk all the way out here at noon and run into people like you. That sounds good to me. Did she really believe there was some sort of magic water? I don't think so. I think she's pushing back. I think she's addressing a question that the second question I think a lot of us wrestle with, and it's this. Do I really need Jesus in my life? Or another way to think about it, do I really need what God is offering me? Do you know how many times I've had conversations with people who get to the point where they just, instead, first they want to know, will I be accepted? Yeah, you'll be accepted. Then they start thinking, yeah, I just don't know if I need that. My life's pretty good. I already have what I need. Sure, I might have to walk out to the, the well at noon, but I, I'm, I'm okay with that if the alternative is a life with Christ. I've literally had people say, I'm, just, I'm, I'm willing to accept the forgiveness of God, but I'm not willing to make him Lord. I don't know if I need that in my life. It's a question that people will wrestle with. It's a question that maybe some of you wrestle with. You say, is my life really, do I really need Jesus? What will Jesus do in my life? I believe what she's pushing back on is, ah, wait a minute. The Spirit's stirring in her, and she's thinking, I don't know. What we have is enough. This is from Jacob. That's good, Right? That's how the story continues. Let's see how it continues. Verse 16, Jesus says, Okay, you want this water? Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said to Jesus, Well, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have said that correctly that I have no husband because you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not even your husband. So, what you said, you're right. And the woman says to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. (laughs) This is is one of those humorous stories, actually, in Scripture. You should, as we read this, we can see there's kind of this funny interchange there. But he's like, no, you're right. You don't have a husband right now. You're with someone else, but you've had five other guys. And her response is like, wait a minute. I, I think you might be a prophet. You might know something. How did you know all of that? What is this, some magic trick? What's going on here? I love the pushback. Then she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and yet you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place where one must worship. Again, maybe what we have. Do I really need what you're offering? And Jesus said to her, Believe me, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Again, referring to the fulfillment and fullness of Scripture. And Jesus says, But a time is coming, and even now has arrived, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said, I am he. I am the one who's speaking to you right now. What a great interchange as they continue to go back and forth. He calls her out. He says, no, I know about parts of your life. Now by the way this is where I don't want you to try to say oh I'm going to imitate Jesus. When you're hanging out you know having dinner with your neighbors and you say like hey let me see your tax returns. I know you cheat on them so let's talk about that. Okay, let's not let's not try to be like Jesus in everything. He had some special revelation we didn't we don't always have. But what he does have is he he's able to get to the heart of the issue. And in this I don't even think he's trying to shame her. He's trying to say you're hiding. You keep hiding. But I want you to know that there's something better offered to you. And then she, so she changes. She goes back, right? She says, well, we worship on this mountain. You, You Jews worship down in Jerusalem. So who's right? Who's right? And Jesus is able to bridge a gap and say, soon there'll be a day when it doesn't matter whether it's Jerusalem or here in Samaria. He's really referring to his fulfillment of scripture that's coming, where the Messiah was going to suffer and die and give his life for all people. In fact, next week is Palm Sunday. We're going to dive into that story and and see how Jesus unveils and really has this the kingdom is now here moment. And what he's referring to is that time is coming when all of these barriers are going to be broken down. It doesn't matter your, your religious background. It doesn't matter your ethnic background, background. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background. A time is coming when this is going to change. In fact, it has now arrived, Jesus said. And God is looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth. So your spirit worshiping God, knowing the full truth, that guess what? That has nothing to do with you and your five husbands. God is able to erase that and wipe it clean. It has nothing to do with your being a Samaritan or my being a Jew. It has to do with God's forgiveness that is offered to all mankind. Will you receive this? And she's wrestling with this, but if I believe this, do I turn my back on everything I know? She's wrestling with this question that we need to ultimately address in our own lives and with others. Is this, the other question is this: What will my life be like, or how will my life be different if I follow Jesus? How will my life be different? Do I have to give up being a Samaritan? Maybe some of you, you've had to wrestle with this: Do I have to give up the things that I enjoy? Your friends might have to wrestle with this. How will my life be different? And in our conversations with people, what we want to see is that your life in Jesus, now you can walk with forgiveness. Is your life going to be perfect? No. But Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you're longing for. You don't have to turn your back on your family and who you are. Although I know some of you, your story is your family turn your back on you. It's a decision that some of us have to make. I fortunately did not have to make that, that decision, but some of you following Jesus meant you were cut off from your family. But the question ultimately that people want to know is what will be different in my life? So now let's go to us. What is our response? Because ultimately when we share, when we hear stories and share stories, we want to address a few of these questions. And I want to just give you an invitation, one for some of you to believe The life that Jesus has for you is a life worth living. That there's a God who loves you so much, who wants to forgive you in everything you've ever done, thought, and everything you ever do or will think. That his forgiveness and grace cannot be undone by your failures. I want you to know that. And he's inviting you in today to receive that forgiveness. For those of us in here who've already believed, here's an invitation for us to be on mission with Jesus. If your life has truly been transformed, isn't that something that we would want others to experience? That's why this works, that God has invited us in. Do you know that statistically 80% of Christians will never have the joy of seeing a friend or leading other, someone else to faith in Christ? 80%. I think a lot of that's rooted in our fears. Some of it's rooted in just our own feelings of insignificant. Some of it's rooted in our own lack of urgency of the mission. But brothers and sisters, we have friends and family who, if they don't know Jesus, they're missing out on the life that God has designed them to live. If we truly believe that, let that be our life's mission. And I know you're saying, well, you're paid to have that as your mission. It's not easier for me just because I'm paid for this. It's not. It's so much easier to not have this as my mission. But trust me, People need to hear and ultimately want to hear this truth. And you will have people who will flat out reject it. I love one of my friends who uh, a few weeks ago, I guess a couple months ago now, another one of my uh, neighbors were Christians. We're hanging out with him. And he says, I I think I shared a little bit of the story. But he said, hey, why don't you tell me your story of faith and why you believe in Jesus? Literally, my my non-Christian friend asked me that question. And I was like, Lord, just show me a sign of when's the right time. He asked me the question, why do you believe in Jesus? So I went into this really eloquent. Oh, it was so good. It was so, I was looking around like, show me your hands. Anyone want to believe? This is good. And he's like, yeah, it just doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work. But what's the invitation to us? What does it look like to share? And what ultimately, I just want to give you, these are easy things. Well, maybe not easy, but here's some, three things that we can all remember when we're sharing with others, here's a few things to keep in mind. One, let's share our life before Jesus. As people get to know you and you get to know them, share what life was like before Jesus. Now, some of you, you cannot remember life before Jesus. That's okay. Some of you grew up in the church you were in the nursery at one week old. You know that you you prayed with your parents at five years old. You you were you grew up in the faith, and that's all you remember. So if that's you, and that's okay. By the way, that's an amazing story. I want you to know if that is your story, especially young people, we struggle with that. There was one Christian comedian who once was talking about testimonies, and he goes, "Do you ever feel like your testimony isn't good enough? I'm like, oh come on, Lord, I want to be addicted to crack. I mean, you know, you you want a better story." Okay, funny to me. So, (laughs) but sometimes we want a better story, but if your story is that your parents loved you and introduced you to Jesus and you grew up in a community of people who pointed you to Christ, that's an amazing story. In fact, that is a rare story. If your whole life you've been walking with them, that is amazing. That's a story of God's faithfulness, amen? It really is, so embrace that story. You don't need a better story. That's amazing. So for you, if you've always walked with Jesus, what was it like as Jesus became more real to you? Because certainly as a five-year-old, there was pro- to now, there was probably a moment when you said it started to click and make more sense. Remember those moments. Those can happen in natural conversations with your friends. And your friends actually, and don't force it, but it's amazing how many times you'll have someone look at you and say, tell me why you believe in Jesus remember another friend of mine who's a professor at San Diego State, uh, uh, actually Jewish, and we were talking one night, and we were actually out camping. Our kids were uh, fr- our friends, and we were camping together, and they lo- literally looked at me and said, tell me about your faith. Tell me about why you believe what you believe. How does it connect? I mean, these things pop up from time to time, and I stumble over my words as much as you will, too, in those moments. I'm thinking, oh man, a PhD professor so much smarter than me. I better not say anything stupid here. <laughs> but what was life like before Jesus? Why did you make that decision? Why did Jesus become more real? The next thing to think about is this. What made Jesus real to you? That part of this story where you start seeing like, and then here's this moment. I was walking with Christ, and I went through this health struggle. I was walking with Christ, and, and, and my kids were, were, were struggling with this thing, and all of a sudden, I had to really lean on my faith. Do I really believe? What are those moments along the way where Jesus became real? Why did you make that decision to follow? Why, what confirmed that decision? Flannery, uh, the author, Flannery O'Connor, said this about stories. So said, there's something in us as storytellers and as listeners to stories that demands the redemptive act, that demands that what falls at least be offered the chance to be restored. I believe a huge part of our story is that I think all humans are longing for that story where you see there's redemption or where you see something that was broken was given the chance to be healed. It's a big part of your story. So what are those moments along the way where you said, oh, God stepped in here where I needed redemption. My marriage was on the rocks. I was struggling with addiction. Could be just my career was a mess. I was bored. I was wandering. I felt no purpose in life, and yet I found it in Christ. Figure out what are those moments? What made Jesus real to you? And then finally, the last thing we want to share is what is life like now? What's life like now? Because if you're friends and if you are like the Samaritan woman, you're saying, Why do I need this? My life's pretty good. I live in San Diego. This is paradise. When we all get to heaven, we're going to look around and say, Oh, North San Diego, sweet. <laughs> Without traffic, even better. And no one's ever on my surf break. It is heaven. <laughs> So it's so natural to look around and say, what what will God do for my life? Because my life's pretty good. So what's your life like now in Christ? What's it like now? When we start to make that a part of our routine, as we think through it, I want to challenge you to actually rehearse, not rehearse it like, here's my speech, here's my sales pitch, but like remind yourself of these truths of God's faithfulness with you. So when someone asks and says, why do you believe? Why do you go to a church? What's so different about your life that you're able to say, oh, without Christ, i would be missing this? So this series has been hopefully a challenge for all of us to have our eyes on others. Again, not because people are our projects and we're going to have some sort of, hey, guess what, in heaven, I've got like 16 stars on my Jesus belt. It's amazing. It's because as Jesus has invited us into life, that we, too want to invite others. I'm going to give you a simple tool. It's a very simple tool. It just as bless. These are cards are on the back, and as you leave, I'd encourage you and invite you to take one of these. It has five spaces on them. The challenge for you is, can you write down five people that you will faithfully pray for? And if your friend finds out you've been praying for them, it's like, what is this blessed card? Why is my name on it? You know what your response is? Oh, it's because I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you that you would experience the joy of God's love as much as I have. might lead to an awkward conversation, by the way, but it could be good. So I want to challenge you to take one of these and look around and think of our church couple services online in the plaza, all of that, multiplied by five, how many people would we be praying for and inviting the Spirit of God to be stirring in the hearts and lives and minds? My guess is we'll be celebrating many, many baptisms this year because the heart of God is to pursue those that don't know Him. And the love and forgiveness of Christ is the best thing we could ever offer anyone. And he's invited us to be a part of this journey. So I want to do something. Would you stand up where you are? And we're going to respond with a song. But even before we respond with a song, would you just bow your heads and I want you to just, in your heart, think of a few names of people that God's placed in your life you would love for them to know and experience the forgiveness of Jesus. Would you just lift those names to him right now in your own heart? Let's just take a moment. probably someone in your life who at one point lifted your name up to God. Who prayed for you. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone you barely knew. But they lifted your name up. God pursued you. So as we end our time, let's remind ourselves of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Let's remind ourselves of his great love for us and know that that is extended everyone that we encounter this week. So let's respond with our hearts with this last song.